Today's episode of Beyond the Mask is presented by the insurance specialists at BrightThink Wealth Strategies. Find the disability insurance coverage that fits you best right now. Email Robert Smith at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. The show is also made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. Get a free consultation today to be guided through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Just visit crnafinancialplanning.com. We'd also like to thank Helping Hands and OSA EMR for their support of the show. And don't forget, listening to our podcast can earn you Class B credits. For more information on how you can submit them, check out the CE Credit tab on our website, beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Stay tuned to the end of today's episode for a special montage tribute to Patrick Downey. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. We know you spend your day caring for your patient's best interests. On our show, we want to care for you. Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA industry. Beyond the Mask starts in 10, 9, 8, 7, Welcome to Beyond the Mask. I'm Jeremy Stanley, and I've been working with CRNAs for over 23 years, and I'm married to one. And my co-host is... Sharon Pierce. Sharon's a practicing CRNA for over 20 years, a past president of the ANA, the NCANA, and she's held many other leadership roles. As usual, our goal with every episode is to educate and enlighten CRNAs, and I think our topic today is definitely going to do that. And Sharon, what time is it? It's time to wake up, Jeremy. I think it is. Well, hello, Sharon and listeners. Welcome to the show. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing okay this morning. You sound better than you did during our first taping. Yeah, well, you know, sometimes it takes you a little bit to to get going. Well, you usually sound kind of stopped up in the mornings anyway. Yeah. Better as a deviated septum I have, you know. No kidding. (laughs) Yeah, I broke my nose when I was uh, younger playing basketball and never, really, I didn't know I'd broken it. Never got it fixed, and I actually went to see, um, you know, Dr. Mims, Whit Mims? Yes. So Whit, um, I've known Whit for years, and so I went to see Whit, and he's like, look, he said, I can fix it. Oh, you don't want to do that. He said, I can fix it for you, but you don't want to do this, (laughs) he said, unless it's just really bothering you. And it really doesn't. I mean, mm-hmm. I've kind of succumbed to learning how to breathe out of right. one side of my nose and not the other. <laughs> um, that doesn't bode well at night. I do I do not snore like your husband snores, Sharon Pierce. I know. He's I terrible. do not, but I do snore sometimes. And uh, Well, he's and never that, heard so. you whenever y'all room Lord, together. There's no way he could hear me. He's like a freight train. <laughs> I'll never forget that night. I thought, what is that noise? You felt sorry for me, didn't you? Oh, my you? gosh. Wow. Anyway, we have another great show lined up, and of course, we have our friends here, Sandy Ouellette, Nancy Marie. Welcome, you two. Good to be here. Yep. Yeah, it's good to have you here, as always. Nice spring day. Last time we were here, it was ice on the ground. I I know. It was. That's exactly right. And that was only a couple weeks ago, right? Mm -hmm. Right. And then yesterday, it was 70. Well, you know, in North Carolina, we get all four seasons in a week. There you go. That's right. (laughs) That's right. Well, you know, we've got another great topic today, Sharon. You want to introduce it? Absolutely. Today we're talking about Patrick Downey, 
And unfortunately, on November the 13th, 2021, AANA lost a great member, former AANA President Patrick Downey. And no one felt the loss more in our profession than members of the AANA Diamond Club. And we'll explain what the Diamond Club is shortly. Um, and again, we've got two former presidents, Sandy and Nancy, to talk about another former president. And we don't say past presidents because <laughs> that has a kind of a it does have kind of really negative there's nothing as past as a past president that's what our <laughs> executive director of the 80s used to say uh, and we all learn to appreciate the meaning of that yes <laughs> yes afterwards i guess you are exactly right so um sandy why don't you tell us about uh the diamond club okay well the diamond club is a social club that is composed just of former ANA presidents. Uh, each ANA president is presented a pin when they leave office. The pin contains a small diamond. Uh, some of our past presidents have had necklaces made, rings made, some use it as a pin. I happen to have lost mine, so I've got to try to get Even that. the other one? Because one right, had right, more yep. made for us. I know, and I lost that you one. You lost that one, too? Yep, and so I've got to see about getting another one. I think we just need to tattoo it on you. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, but anyway, the outgoing president is introduced to the group during the final Congress and the, um, by the immediate past president. And this historically occurs at a dinner uh, where all the former presidents get together at the Congress. Now, the governance of the Diamond Club is very simple. There is a president and treasurer. Currently, Deb Chamberlain Geisler is the current president. She's doing a wonderful Mm -hmm. job, by the way. And Patrick was always the eternal treasurer uh, until his death. Uh, Dues are collected annually from members of the group and at other times when we need it for special special things. Almost all funds raised uh, by the group, uh, in, at least since 2010, have been for student scholarships. But it doesn't mean that it has to be student scholarships. If, if there was some other uh, reason we wanted to donate, we would. And uh, if you look at what the Diamond Club has done um, since 2010, we have raised about $33,000 in scholarships. And um, once a year, we give a scholarship for $3,000 that uh, the foundation helps us to know who is most deserving of that. But in 2021, we did two $3,000 scholarships. And so we're real real proud of that. And that comes from our dues that we collect as former presidents. Uh, The group meets at the Congress and at other times as needed by Zoom calls. And since Patrick's passing, we've met several times trying to figure out where we're going. Will it remain a social club? Or do we have something more to contribute? And we'll have a a call coming up the 1st of March to discuss some of those issues. Uh, But right now, there's no governing structure of the club, such we don't have a mission, we don't have a philosophy, we don't have bylaws. We just have fun. Mm-hmm. You know, that is true. <laughs> we like do. A club. <laughs> Most of the time. We, we, <laughs> well, there's been some contentious times. You get a lot of strong personalities in a room. Right. That can happen. But mostly it's fun. Yeah. So looking back, there have been approximately 75 members of the Diamond Club since 1931 to 2022. And I thought, well, that's not right because this year we're celebrating our um, our 91st birthday. But they used to have longer terms. They used to. Up and until then 1960, two, uh, they had two-year terms. And then two served as president twice, your husband and Peggy right, McFadden. Right, that's correct. 
And um, of those 75, about 39 of these members are deceased. So we have about half that members in our club. So what role did Patrick play? And, you know, we, we really view him as the patriarch of the mm-hmm. Diamond Club. He served as secretary and treasurer for many years. To me, he was the glue of the club. He sent everybody a birthday card, everybody a get well card, everybody a sympathy card if it was required. He called people about once a month. He did. And and he never failed. In addition to that, he was a mentor to many who later became ANA presidents. And on the top, off the top of my head, I think particularly Cheryl Nemo, mm-hmm. uh, he, he really was quite supportive of her. And until his death, he championed causes such as the ANA history. And he felt uh, that it, it really must be preserved, it must be published, and it must be known by all of our members. And he never called me up until the time of his death. Sandy, tell me, where is what's the status of watchful care mm-hmm. too so he was very <laughs> concerned about that book being yeah. published and he, he never lost sight of that but but certainly he he's left a real void in our club and i don't know that we'll ever be the same again mm-hmm. and we may even go in different directions in terms mm-hmm. of what what we might do in the future uh but right now deb is sort of holding us together and as i said she's doing a real good job she is doing a fantastic mm-hmm. job and you know when emma died patrick called me um, about that, and he had trees uh, planted mm-hmm. in her memory. So, really, yeah. really sounds like sweet a special, man. very special person. Mm, yeah. I don't you think I ever no got idea. to meet him, but oh, you uh, or maybe that. I did and didn't realize who he was. You know, maybe you know one of those situations. Sure. So, you really missed out. Nancy, tell us a little bit about uh, uh, Patrick's early life. Well, Patrick was born. During a snowstorm. Now get this now. Are you ready? May 19th, a snowstorm, okay? Oh. Wow. Uh, and beat Montana. I know. <laughs> but I well, mean, that, that explains part yeah, of it. Say, yeah. But I mean, to think about a snowstorm for us living in the south, that yeah, May, 19th, May 19th, you know, it's wow. something else. But he was born in 1938, and he was the oldest of 12 children, and he was born in Butte, Montana. And that's where he spent his early life. Uh, there was a 19-year span between Patrick and his youngest sibling. Oh, bless that poor mother's heart. Wow. <laughs> so, so as a young child, he helped his mother with chores, such as cooking, cleaning, sewing, ironing, and taking care of younger children. Uh, Patrick's parents passed away when five children were still at home. They were placed in an orphanage, and according to one of the younger children, Patty, that's what the children call Patrick, was Patty, told them not to take any crap off the nuns in the orphanage and to always stand up for themselves. I can hear wow. him saying that right <laughs> now. Okay. I can. Um, and I would just want to interject something here since you brought up the trees. Mm-hmm. One year, the Bowman Club got together and um, gave him, you know, the thing that you can send uh, chickens and pigs and stuff, you know, to... To developing countries. To developing countries. Right. Yeah. All of us sent a different animal in Patrick's name for a Christmas present. And he was so... Uh. It was a big surprise to him. And he was so excited about that. I can believe that. That's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. Yeah. That is pretty cool. 
So let's talk about his education and early life. Okay, so after graduating from Butte Central High, everything, everybody had a Central. I went to Central School, and that's I went what to it was central. back then. And back in 1956, <laughs> uh, he joined the United States Navy Medical Corps, and he was in Oakland, California. He was honorably discharged to return home to Butte after the death of his father, where he helped his mother raise his siblings. Uh, he was sent on partial scholarship and perhaps that's why he was just so strong in support of scholarships for our students today uh, from the Sisters of Charity of Levensworth to nursing school of the Alexian brothers in uh, Chicago. On November 10th 1962 he married Kathleen or they call her Kathy Klein in Chicago and following their marriage they both worked in health care uh, in that particular city. Uh, Patrick furthered his education studying anesthesia under Sister Yvonne Jen, and that is a big name. There's many of our leaders uh, just worship her, that studied under her in La Crosse, Wisconsin. He spent most of his 40-year career employed with the Holy Family Hospitals as a senior anesthetist. After retirement from anesthesia, uh, Patrick worked as a jail nurse in Milwaukee County, and he also enjoyed tending bar at several different <laughs> local establishments. Now, I bet he was a great bartender. If, if you ever knew Patrick, he was never at a loss for words. Mm. Um, he, he reminded me somewhat of Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton, you can give mm. him two words, and he can stand up there and talk for 30 minutes, 60 minutes, yeah. just tell me what you want me to say. That kind of, and Patrick was the same way. You just give him some pointers here and there, and he could talk forever. He, he he would have been the 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 best politician mm-hmm. had he yeah. had he gone um, in that direction. Yeah, but a bartender, I bet he had a lot of stories. I bet I he bet had he a did. lot of stories. <laughs> 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 oh, but he had a lot of highlights in his anesthesia career too, right, Nancy? Yeah, one of his highlights is I used to call him at the bar and talk to him. Oh my God! <laughs> <laughs> his wife gave me the number. Oh my goodness. <laughs> getting him in trouble no i wasn't <laughs> but anyway patrick was a member and act and very active in the wisconsin association of nurse anesthetists and he did serve two two terms as president of the wisconsin association he was also an active member of the american association of nurse anesthetists and he did serve as president in, from 1983 to 1984 Patrick continued advocating for the profession long after his years of practice ended. He never, ever stopped doing that for the AANA. And for that, he received the AANA Agatha Hodgins Award for Outstanding Accomplishments in 1999. And he also received the Rare Lifetime Achievement Award from the AANA in 2017. Has anybody else received that i don't remember anybody else i'm not sure that somebody has it right now i can't uh can't really name a person but it's very very rare and unfortunately patrick could not be there right because of health reasons Mm -hmm. but they did get a video uh, of him right and I, i wish so much he could have been there um at least one of his children is a crna Mm-hmm. Uh, you he know, has a son. Yeah, at least one. I don't know if there's more, but um, but he would have loved to be there for yes, that, I that occasion. Talking to Cheryl about that. 
As a CRNA, you spend years preparing yourself for this career, so we don't want to see you lose out on any of the income you've worked so hard to earn. The best way to protect yourself and give you the confidence that a major life event won't disrupt your financial future is through disability insurance. We've known disability income specialist Robert Smith for many years and have seen the work he's done with nearly 2,000 CRNAs over multiple decades. He can help identify any gaps in your existing coverage and fill those gaps by finding the best value on a policy. Contact Robert and let him know you heard about him on our podcast. Send him an email at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com. Or call him at 504-394-6557. Protect your greatest asset as a CRNA, yourself and your ability to earn a living by adding disability insurance to your financial plan. So tell us a little bit about whenever he was uh, AANA president. Okay, when um, when he passed, I, I really wanted to review more about Patrick other than the Diamond Club and the friendship that we'd had for several decades. And so I got in touch with the ANA um, archives um, director. He's not director, that's not his title, but George, and asked him to send me some information on Patrick's years in 1983 and 1984. And what I found was that uh, during that time, the ANA appointed John Gard uh, as executive director after the resignation of Nancy Fievel. They were very bumpy times for the ANA with that transition. But John did well. He was in the uh, position for 17 years, I think, before he was called back to, um, to be interim. Uh, shortly before his death. It was also during that time that we celebrated the 50th ANA annual meeting. And very soon, nine years, not far off, I'm hoping that our leaders are beginning to plan for the big party right now. We'll be celebrating our 100th anniversary. Uh, During his time, the CRNA PAC Political Action Committee was established. And the ANA filed a neutral amicus curiae brief in the Jefferson Parish Hospital versus Hyde during this time. And and until that was filed, the last one um, had not been filed to the, to the courts uh, since 1934. And it was a fun time. Billy Crystal was featured at the ANA Annual Comedy Hour. No, no, no. We used to have big people like that that would well, come in. Well, well they weren't big then were they well he was pretty he big was pretty big. yeah he was pretty big say, yeah yeah that is cool yeah you know and of course direct reimbursement legislation for crnas was introduced in the senate by um, matsunaga from hawaii and Inuwe from hawaii um and pale all, all of these people were from hawaii they were all all democrats too mm-hmm. if you notice and um, so you remember that we've talked about this. Direct reimbursement was a seven-year process over seven presidents and their boards. And um, Patrick was probably president number two or, or three, maybe, because Barbara Adams and Pat Fleming was also involved in that. And then we began to see during those years the casualties we had because of chemical dependency in our CRNA population. And so it was during that time, uh, with a lot of direction from Ruth Long, the late Ruth Long here in North Carolina, that uh, the ANA established an ad hoc committee on chemical dependency, which is now the Peer Assistance Committee. Um, Federal funds were appropriated for the first time for nurse anesthesia traineeships. And Jane Blumenwright wrote his first legal brief 
column. And, you know, I love those legal oh briefs. Oh, my God. I was just thinking uh, the exact and same they, thing. And they do have some now, I think, in the journals. But there was one every single month. I love those and, um, things. You know, and he finally, they composed all of those and made a book um, for him after he retired. And the first journal article on AIDS was published, remember? It was mm-hmm. in 83, 84, that uh, we began to understand a little bit about what AIDS was. And we began to update our uh, communication system. We had a toll-free phone line for members to hear daily pre-recorded messages of the latest news. Now, remember, that was 1983 and how far we've come. I guess we've come a long way. (laughs) (laughs) Two steps forward, one step back. back. That's right. Um, And the ANA uh, passed through provision in the Deficit Reduction Act became law. That amendment provided for pass-through of costs incurred by hospitals uh, for anesthesia services provided by CRNAs, and that was particularly rural hospitals with low volume. So they were like, this PPS had never happened, DRGs had never happened. They went on just like they were, but it was time-limited. It was only for three years. And um, the Research and Action Award was first uh, presented to Christine Seuss, and um, an active member categories reflecting certification status was adopted. So you were certified, and then you were recertified, non-recertified, life, and emeritus. And the government affairs position, a uh, director position, was created. So, so that's uh, state that's government not, affairs. Is it, that? Uh, I don't know. I think it was a federal. It okay. may have been both. Do you remember, Nancy? Because now we have state government affairs, and they're housed in the in the Illinois office, right. and then we have federal government affairs that's housed in the D.C. office. Right, and it may have been both, because I can't imagine we would have had one without the other, mm-hmm. but I would need to look that up. But we didn't have an office, of course. That came much later. Okay. So it was all in ANA. So, you know, these are just some events that happened uh, during his time, and uh, we all like to say, this happened during my year, you sure. know, and however, we, we have to really to be honest about it, know that things begin and end, like reimbursement, for example, was a seven-year process, mm-hmm. um, and then it still continued in terms of trying to get uh, parity in the reimbursement system. But um, Well, that's like the VA issue. I was, it was supposed to be put to bed the year I was president, and look at that. That was 2015, and we're still not, we're yeah. still working on it. Yeah, so that's the way life goes with the ANA. <laughs> I think in healthcare in general, right? Fanny? Yes, yeah, yeah, that's that's probably yeah. true. So, so Nancy, you know, there were goals and challenges, obviously, to Patrick's A and A presidency years, and you know, we kind of looked over and found some comments from his acceptance speech and his farewell speech. You want to kind of talk us through that? Sure. And this did did come from um, Patrick's acceptance speech, <clears throat> but he said, "I believe in nurse anesthesia, and I'm convinced that it represents." an answer to one of the major domestic problems confronting this nation today, and of course this deals with health care. The problem of how to maintain a vital and dynamic health care system, which all our people have access at a price that society can afford without diminishing by one iota the essential quality that is a prerequisite to such a system. And that what that says a lot about what Patrick really believed in. He wanted everyone to have access to health care and he wanted it to be affordable. So And you know the theme really hasn't changed no. over all mm-hmm. that time. You mm-hmm. know, if you, you, you put out the three buzzwords as quality, cost and access. Yes. 
and uh and so he he really saw that even back in you know decades ago and the by the byline now is crnas are a solution to health care issues absolutely so it, it is exactly the same yep so some of his his blueprint um from his administration that i found um he said we need to establish a clear and positive professional identity for the profession our specialty is anesthesia and we share that specialty with physicians but i am not a junior doctor and i can hear him saying that i am a nurse anesthetist a certified registered nurse anesthetist and he didn't say anesthesiologist that was mm-hmm. back in 1984 he said uh, and I am proud of it and secure in that identity. And then he went on, he said, once I know who I am, you can't really move forward mm-hmm. a- unless you accept who you are. It defines my relationship with others. I believe our relationship to others, uh, healthcare providers, is a lateral one. And we must promote such lateral relations to assure collegial and interdependent rather than hierarchical dependence. Uh, if indeed the time has come when organized anesthesiology can accept us as colleagues and partners in this collaborative <coughs> endeavor of providing anesthesia services to society, we are willing to help and find a way to promote such relationships at the organizational level. But I will not submit to a subservient role for the nurse anesthetist in anesthesia affairs. So that was in, you know, 1983-84. Well, where are we? Uh, recently, within the last month, the president of the Florida Association of Nurse Anesthetists, um, it was on January 25th um, of this year, submitted an article that was all over, you know, uh, social media. Uh, the surgical suite is no place for so-called collaboration. And he went on in this particular mm. article, and he said, he, he sort of uh, equated it with Scully, who put that plane down in the Hudson River mm-hmm. when they had all those birds. Mm-hmm. And um, he said, times like that, you know, you, you can't really have collaboration. There has to be one person in charge, and that person would be the doctor in his view. And he said, things happen very quickly. And so uh, with that being said, you know, we have to be in charge. No, and they hate that word collaboration, I mm-hmm. can tell you. Mm-hmm. But, um, it, but anyway, um, that would mean because, you know, things can go from good to bad in a heartbeat in anesthesia. So right. if you really feel that way, they should be in the room all the time. Right. But Absolutely. you better be careful what you ask for. Just in case you get it. <laughs> That's, right. That's right. Wait until they listen to the Tefra podcast. <laughs> yeah. There you and then go. they'll understand. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so collaboration. He went on to say, once we know who we are as professionals and have defined our relationship with our colleagues, our public in- image can be clear, specific, and unmistakable. We plan to spend a large amount of money on public relations this year. Uh, do you realize that if each CRNA in clinical practice would make preoperative rounds on all their patients, informing them of who they are and of what their qualifications consist, we would have educated over 12 million people about CRNAs in one year's time without spending a dime. Lack of public awareness of our contributions um, is a threat to our practice. We have often abdicated the responsibility of preoperative visits and postoperative evaluation to our anesthesiologist colleagues. Unfortunately, I believe if we continue to do so, we may find that we have abdicated our practice. And of course, times were different then. Today, 
uh, same day admits for most procedures all of the pre-op is done mm-hmm. in a very controlled in a, a pre-admission testing type area um, but I did get a call uh, following my cataract surgery last week uh, from someone at the hospital uh, just say I was doing and that that was very nice to get that call it has not occurred with other procedures I've had at hospitals in the area but it was not a CRNA no it wasn't an accident yeah it's a nurse yeah yeah so so again these are opportunities that are missed sometimes um, to interact with the public and finally Patrick said to ensure the future of our practice we must make ourselves indispensable that really stood out to me and I'll tell you why when our program and I was program director uh, at Wake Forest and in 1988 the residency program went to four years instead of three and of course for the clinical experience they automatically dropped our enrollment by at least a third and I just went stomping into the administrator's office you know this isn't right and that's the lesson he taught me. Right has nothing to do with it. It's where the power is. And you got to figure this out because, mm-hmm. you know, this is how many you're taking in next year. And we did figure it out. We developed clinical sites. But the thing he told me, CRNAs must make themselves indispensable in the areas in which they work. They should be the solution every day and not the problem in the operating room. And, uh, and, and Patrick was saying this, yeah. and, and so it certainly has uh, relevance today. Uh, we must also involve ourselves in other areas of practice when the time is ready. And it may mean going the added mile without getting additional bucks, but we can look at it as an investment, and we can make it pay off in the future. So he was saying, we don't have to be paid for everything. You know, if we have an opportunity to be on a hospital committee or, or even community service, one of the things they do at Wake, they, um, the students um, choose a community service project. You know, very nice to teach them at that particular level to really reach out to the community, let the community know who they are. And, uh, and Patrick, Patrick had that nailed, you know, in 1983-84. Well, you know, I've always said that your outreach to the community needs to occur outside of the operating room tell people who you are and what you do when you have that opportunity my crna pen is always the entree the little bling pen people always ask about it but when people are in the operating room i'm not too sure exactly what they hear i mean they're laying there they're cold they're hungry they don't have their underwear on and and they don't have their teeth in and they're not going to remember anything at that point, it's just like whenever I climb on that airplane, I don't ask the pilot how many times he's flown that plane. I've already made that commitment when I put my foot on the airplane, and that's the same with those patients. But if you take your identity everywhere else, I always ask people, what do you do for a living? Of course, they say it's a very American thing. Europeans don't do that. But uh, what's their next question? Well, what do you do? Yeah, that's true. That is true. Yeah, and, and I think you're absolutely right, Sharon. The OR is not a place to mm-hmm. do this. We need to leave all of our political baggage at the door mm-hmm. when we come mm-hmm. into the operating room and take care of patients. And, and that's the only way we'll be able to do it uh, well. And, um, but there's so many opportunities outside. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, flying as much as I did, 
I just waited for that person on the plane to ask me, like mm-hmm. you, you know, what 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 do you do? And I tell them I'm a certified registered nurse anesthetist, and they say, well, what is that? And I couldn't wait for that question because we were way up in the air and all the doors were closed. And by the time, by the time, <laughs> I they, can't get away. There was no escape. <laughs> and by the time we landed, they, they knew, knew all they about knew what a was. <laughs> you know, one person at a time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. I like it. That is great. Today's show is brought to you by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855-304-3748. That's 855-304-3748. Or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. So, Nancy, what did Patrick talk about when he said a viable public relations program? Well, Sandy's already mentioned that there was a, a fair amount of money invested during um, Patrick's year in public relations, and and you can tell by how he felt about making our our uh, own visits to patients and that sort of thing that that was very important to him. But as far as public relations was concerned, he said, "I believe we have made great strides in PR this year. I believe every individual member must take part in our public relations program." What a public relations opportunity we've missed when we only see our patients after they have been premedicated and before they are fully recovered from anesthesia. And when you hear the podcast on TEFRA, you'll hear that that, that making preoperative <coughs> visits was not something the anesthesiologists were willing to delegate. So he's, he was right on about... <coughs> us being hidden from everyone else in the hospital environment. He went on to say, I believe we should be well remunerated for our services, but I have grave concerns about physicians or nurse anesthetists who are in this business purely for the money, who walk in and walk out, carry their money bags to the bank or to their stockbroker. Ooh, ooh. I mean that that just hit home a little bit. There, you know? I, mean, I see you. I see you squirming over there, Jeremy. <laughs> like, well, Did you feel that? Yeah, I, mean, I, I need to be a part of this big picture too. Yeah, that's right. You know, what's wrong with that, Patrick? Come on. Um, no, but you know, I think it is interesting, and and you guys have probably seen this throughout the years. I think there are a lot, and this is just coming from my outside viewpoint. I mean, I, I think they CRNAs love anesthesia, but I think there was a a considerable amount of people who went back to anesthesia school because of the money. Um, and, you know, I, I still find that. I mean, you know, and I asked that question. I mean, if, if CRNAs did not make what they make, would you, and I asked the students at Wake the other day, I asked them, you know, would you have gone back to anesthesia school? I said, if you were going to make what, you know, if you're going to go from making seventy, eighty thousand to 100000 would you have done it? Absolutely not. I had some people that lied to me um, because, you know, if you put yourself through anesthesia school and all that comes along with that and giving up now three years of your life for the most part to do this, um, would you do it without the money? 
now, but I can tell you it was the the money wasn't that much different. No, it wasn't back then. Right. Then whenever I got out, I know it certainly wasn't when you guys went. Yeah, in in the mid 1980s, when Patrick was our president, you know, the average salary, you know, was like twenty four, twenty five thousand a year, and uh, but nursing was still, you know, lower than that. Right. And um, and as I, I think I've said before, my husband, CRNA Richard, said. You know, his goal in life was to make at least $50,000 a year before he retired. And, wow. man, after that direct reimbursement, and yes. we, got, we got on the right train there. And, so uh, what was your – do you remember your starting salary, Sandy? Mm-hmm. No, I don't remember. Nancy probably does. What was yours, but Nancy? 17000 17000 Wow. Mine, now and I, that, what year was that, Nancy? 74. 74. Okay. Excuse me, 76. And I was 92, and my beginning salary was 70,000. That included call, everything. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, one of the things, getting back to what you're saying, Jeremy, is certainly there would be uh, a greater gender difference, I think, in our profession um, if the salary wasn't what it is. True. If you look right now Mm -hmm. um, in something I, I read, getting ready for another podcast 40 percent of our members approximately are male 60 percent are female as compared to nursing where about 10 percent mm-hmm. are male yeah and true. um and i think it's the uh the the ability to provide well for your family yeah um as a breadwinner of the family in many cases and also the the autonomy of practice that you can find you know if you don't want to be in an act model you can certainly find a model right where you can have total autonomy of practice yeah and i think that's attractive to a lot of our people but today when these these i call them kids yeah my, i do the same ki- thing when sometimes. my kids yeah. <laughs> when these students are going to what will soon be three years and um looking at 30 to 30 thousand 35,000 a year in tuition as an average most places you can see why they would not do it yeah. you know right. they're, they're going to have big educational expenses and that's just tuition not a cost living. of living because they can't work right um, right well but you know i have always said the roi is so much better my daughter went to law school it was three years yeah and she had six-figure student loans and her first job out of law school she worked in a public defender's office making $38,000 a year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, her ROI on the same amount of debt was a, looked a whole lot different. She was still willing to do that. Which is why the legal industry is the cesspool of the world. <laughs> oh, did I say that out loud? Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to you offend anybody. I didn't say that. Um, Shelly. That's okay. I can me. have that debate with Shelly, too. And my best um, friend, no, April Wood. I know. Man. Well, but yeah. They know the truth. There's yeah. a lot of... There, you know, well, it's well. an You know, profession. I've always said, and I still say, even with tuition being what it is today, it's the best educational investment kidding. over yeah. a lifetime no, you right. can have. You're right. Uh, because I, I equate it to people like, the, do the same amount, pay the same amount to get PhD research mm-hmm. uh, degrees and so on. They'll never start where these people start because they start at a CRNA salary, not a yeah. DNP salary. Right. You know, right? It's good to have that, but they're paying you f- for the skills and knowledge that you have to bring to their operating room every day to keep their patients safe. Yeah, and um, and that's all good. I think about all my Yale classmates. I mean, that was a six-figure investment uh, for three years for us. And, you know, 
what there have only been eight CRNAs to go through that program. Right. The rest of them are all APRNs. Most of them are nurse practitioners. Right. I mean, same thing for them. Yeah. Well, I was just having this debate. You know, Lauren, my oldest daughter's in nursing school over at UNCG right now, and we, her and I had uh, lunch the other day, and we're talking about this. I said, "You you do understand kind of the financial ramifications of this path that you're on." And uh, because she wants to go back to right now, this is what she's saying. You know, I am going to go back to anesthesia school, and there's only two other folks in our cohort. I think there's a hundred um, that are going to anesthesia school. Um, and so we're talking about this, and I said, you know what? I'm explaining to her. She doesn't understand. They've they've never talked to her about the financial side of being mm-hmm. a nurse or being a nurse anesthetist, and she knows that CRNAs make good money. But, you know, I kind of went down that path with her. I said, if you break this down, and I said, you know, look, you're going to have to have a year of critical care at least, all right? So you're going to work for one year, and then you're going to give up three years of your life to put yourself through what you think is tough now in nursing school, but Mm. probably double tough that in anesthesia school. And you're giving up probably close to $250,000 plus in income. So, but when you get out, you're probably going to make on average $100,000 a year more than what the average nurse out there makes. And you can make as much as you want to make. There you you go. You're talking about a 40-hour week. Right. And and you can do all these extra shifts. I've heard so many CRNAs, we'd be on cruises and we're looking at all this expensive artwork and they would look at it, oh, that's expensive. But, you know, that's just one call shift. Yeah. Boom, yeah. they got yes, it. Exactly. <laughs> well, and, you know, I also warned her, though. I said, you know, you, as CRNAs, you know, I've been around for 24 years now. And I have seen, Sharon, what you've made and what CRNAs have made. And I, I still say... For our listeners, be very, very careful what you wish for, because the more that CRNAs get on par with what physicians make, and we're getting closer, okay, the more problems that's going to develop for the CRNA industry down the road. Because right now, I think the advantage is that obviously, or I consider myself a CRNA, (laughs) we're, um, you know, when given anesthetics the best in the business nobody can do it any better and you are the lowest cost provider if and when that changes that's a problem Mm -hmm. and the third thing is is supply demand and we'll talk about that later but so anyway we're going down this path and talking about this and i know we're going to get to another one where we're talking about uh um, money and manpower and all Mm -hmm. that fun stuff and supply demand i'm looking forward to that one but Anyway, I took us down the wrong. Y'all mentioned money and stockbrokers, and go. see where I took us. See, and we just <laughs> Nancy's looking at me, shaking her head like you're a bad boy. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, all right, let's get back to Patrick for just right, a minute. Sorry, Patrick. And which I am I so sorry that you never had the know, opportunity me to meet him. We were supposed to interview him for the podcast, but what message did Patrick send to organized anesthesiology during his time in leadership of the AANA, Sandy? Well, he really, his whole reason for being is preserving the ARNA field and the practice field. And he, he thought a lot of that was uh, knowing the past, the present, and the future. He, he said the threats to CRNA practice, which have arisen or been exacerbated during my tenure, uh, included things uh, such as reimbursement. And, you know, really, when you think about it, all this started, 82, 83, with PPS and uh, the GR. DRGs. 
he talked a lot about that um, and problems with acquiring or keeping hospital uh, practice privileges. He really was concerned about restrictions placed on CRNA practice by some of our anesthesiology colleagues stemming from resolutions that have mm-hmm. been passed at the ASA House of Delegates uh, during his term uh, as ANA president, such as um, not allowing CRNAs or students to uh, provide regional anesthesia and, and in some invasive monitoring, such as arterial lines. They began to restrict that. And then unwanted restrictions um, in selected joint commission standards and particularly uh, misinformation of those standards by selected uh, visitors when they made on-site visits well, to the hospital. Well, that still hasn't changed yeah. as far as them misinterpreting <coughs> guidelines. And I can work in two different facilities, and they will uh, they have to do things differently based on their surveyor that they have. And the goal was to make it consistent, and it's not. Yeah. He also was concerned about the cancellation or threatened cancellation of surgeons' malpractice insurance who utilize CRNA services particularly by physician-owned or operated insurance companies. And remember, this was 1984, and ANA's response to that was to start our own insurance company. Mm -hmm. And that uh, started in 1988, with the first meeting being held in 1999. And he went on during his... uh, uh, outgoing speech to say I would remind the ASA and some of our members that it was not ANA that withdrew its support of the 1972 uh, AANA-ASA joint position statement on anesthesia practice in which both providers were recognized as desirable and needed. ASA withdrew their support of the position. Um, anesthesia care in this country, Patrick said, is better because we both exist as independently licensed health professionals, even though we are often function in interdependent practice modes, affording the best of medicine and nursing uh, in anesthesia services. And when he talks about this interdependent practice modes, I really paid attention to that. And just last week, ANA uh, issued a document that I must say I thought was new, but it's not due. It's patient-driven interdisciplinary practice. And um, when I looked at uh, this particular document, it was first uh, approved and published in June 2012. You probably remember it, Sharon, being on the board Mm -hmm. during that time. And then it was revised in 2018 uh, to this particular document. But, you know, a lot of attention by ASA is spent on the ACT model, the anesthesia care team model. But actually, anesthesia is much broader than that. It's an interdependent, um, you know, di- uh, interdisciplinary practice model uh, that crosses all, all boundaries of, uh, of surgeons and operating room nurses and everybody. And so we strongly encourage interdisciplinary collaboration among the patient's team, utilizing effective communication and leveraging the unique roles and responsibility of all team members. But this is a very good document if people have not seen it. And as I said, I just received it uh, and it brought to my attention last week. So Patrick, in many ways, was, you know, well ahead of his time. Um, some of the issues, as you mentioned, Sharon, same issues we continue to f- mm-hmm. fuss, fuss about today. Um, but... Um, but he at least identified them. History it, repeats itself. That's over absolutely over right. Yeah. But I love this whole this whole line. Yeah. Anesthesia care in this country is better because we both 
exist as independently licensed health professionals. Even though we often function in interdependent practice modes, affording the best medicine in nursing and anesthesia services. I love that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've always said if we could take money out of it, it would be an easy thing to solve. But Oh, can't. yeah. So. Yeah. If you took money out of it, nobody would be here giving anesthesia, except people like Catherine Lawrence <laughs> in the Civil War. Yeah. I, I, now I that just, we know her name. Yeah. 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 You're right. You're right. So, and unfortunately, we lost Patrick November 19th, 2021, and they had a celebration of life service. Nancy, you want to tell us about that and, and some of the, the highlights there? Well, Patrick passed away as you know, on November 13th, 2021. And he is survived by his wife, Kathy, which I have to interject here and say that's the first time I ever knew her name. He always called her Mrs. Downey. He did. Huh. Always. Huh. I didn't know her name either. So I huh. didn't know, and I've talked to her on the telephone and that sort of thing, but he always called her Mrs. Downey. He did. Huh. And he also had four children, many grandchildren and great-grandchildren. And he was very proud of his family. He truly was. Um, the Celebration of Life service for Patrick was held on Friday, November 19th, uh, 2021, and Manitoba. Towick, Wisconsin, and the AANA, of course, was represented there by President Dina Veloci, uh, her husband, Paul Santora, Deb Geisler, president of the Diamond Club, Lorraine Jordan, Will McGillis, and Mike Kramer. Uh, so we were well represented there for, and there for Patrick. Well. And Patrick will be forever missed. As I said, there's just no replacement for him as a patriarch of our diamond club and so i think as that club moves forward it will be somewhat different and hopefully it'll be a little uh, more organized a little more than a social club because i think the former presidents all have something to give absolutely if the current board members will be open to it we don't need a junior board in the diamond club but we do need the board currently elected to feel comfortable in talking to the diamond club and i think the communication in the last year actually has been quite good yeah. among uh, all of our, our our individuals in this club and i, I hope that it will be uh, nothing but positive as we move forward i had calls quarterly with the past presidents but each of us kind of develop a, um, a mentor within the community you know i would call jackie i would call linda williams of course a lot um so but i like i like i like your thoughts on that i mean you know the sad thing is when you walk off that stage it's it's over but yet you've got all this wealth of knowledge and then it's just done it just made me think about and you know excuse me uh, but before john passed away that was not necessarily the case mm-hmm. because even though the presidents uh, come and go, you had that constant source um, that could tell you, oh, yeah, you know, that came up, you know, several years ago. It was an absolute disaster. you got to remove that from the agenda. We don't want to go there. Right. You know, things <laughs> like that. It was a, a quiet yeah. mentorship that he had. But after he passed, it wasn't that way anymore. And so uh, I, I think that we do have something to offer. Yeah. 
just made me uh, have this funny little vision popped up in my head of Trump calling Obama and saying, hey, how'd you handle this? And, you know, and then now Biden's calling Trump and saying, hey, man, how'd you handle this? You know, can you imagine that happening? No. Yeah, you're all looking at me like I've got, you know, I don't know, I don't know why I have this vision. I want to know what you're reading. Head. You know, I mean, you I never. I didn't say anything like that. <laughs> I want to know what you're smoking. <laughs> oh, goodness. It's it, interesting times we live in, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, well, thank you both for doing this. And, and most of all, we want to thank Patrick for all that you did um, for mm-hmm. CRNAs and the impact that he left. And it, it was very obvious in this room on the three CRNAs that are sitting here, the impact that he made, not only in the CRNA community, but as a friend, as a mentor, and as a leader. Um, and, you know, I would say there's probably many others out there that Patrick influenced either directly or indirectly. So we want to thank him for all that he left us with. Absolutely. All right. Till next time, Sharon. It's a wrap. As a CRNA for more than 50 years, Patrick Downey made an impact on so many lives, and we wanted to share a few of those memories with you today. Over the past few weeks, we received numerous voicemails from CRNAs all over the country, so we've put together this special montage to help remember him. It's only fitting that today's show falls on St. Patrick's Day. This is Jackie Rolls, AANA president, FY2009, sharing my memories of Patrick Downey. There's so many, it's hard to even keep this brief. But I remember when Patrick got the AANA Agatha Hodgins Award, as it was my first AANA meeting. I was so impressed, and he seemed so statesly, such a man of respect and honor, and so well-spoken. I was just amazed. Imagine my surprise as a new AANA Board of Directors for Region 3, when I went to the state president's luncheon and lo and behold, sitting at my table for region three as president of Wisconsin was Patrick Downing. I was pretty green at that point and he was a wonderful mentor to me just as he has been to so many within the AANA. When I was elected president of the AANA, he was there every step of the way with encouragement, with suggestions, with stories, light heartening stories to keep your spirits up It's a long journey, a tiring journey to be AANA president. It is wonderful in so many ways, but having someone there to check in with you every couple weeks, who knows the ropes, who's been there, who still keeps up with what was going on in the AANA was just amazing. Even after that, Patrick would call me every two to four weeks. He was just a beacon of light and of positiveness for us all. He was the treasurer of the AANA former president's club called the Diamond Club, and he made sure that everyone got birthday cards. He also made sure that we got sympathy cards when we had a loss in our lives. He was someone that right up to the end was interested, involved in the AANA, and called many people to be a strong suit for them and to ask what they thought about what was happening. In the end, it was very difficult for Patrick. He would have loved to have still made it to AANA meetings, but with all of his failing health, he wasn't able to get around very well. There's no one who will be missed more than Patrick Downey. To so many people, he was our mentor. I know that he is up in heaven dancing with John Gard and all the sisters he used to talk about and his many, many friends. 
And I also know that all of us that knew him will never forget him. And he will remain a strength in our lives. And we will smile when we think of his memories. Hello, everyone. My name is Terry Wicks, and I was president of the American Association of Nurse Anesthetists during 2006 and 2007. And I remember fondly Patrick's support of not just me, but all of the AANA presidents during their terms and afterwards. I am married to Paulus Letso. I was the 1994-95 AANA president. I was privileged to know Patrick Downey from the 1970s and our days as young AANA members. For over 40 years, I knew Patrick, and he was as just as kind and witty and genuine in our later years as he was when I met him. Patrick's influence on nurse anesthetists is timeless. At the time he became ill, just before he passed, he was calling the former AANA presidents to collect our donations for the scholarship we present annually to nurse anesthesia students. As an AANA leader, Patrick was a strong character with strong opinions, but he always showed respect for others and their opinion when it came to making important decisions for CRNAs. He always took time to listen to students, colleagues, and even adversaries. Patrick left a legacy of great leadership and kindness to all people. No one could ever talk to Patrick without leaving happier. He was charming and funny and wise. His loyalty to nurse anesthesia, his respect and dedication to his family and his community, his strong belief in God, and his belief that all people did their best was inspirational. Patrick motivated so many of us to get active in AANA and I'm sure there are many AANA members and leaders whose lives were touched by his kindness and belief in our abilities. He taught us to trust ourselves. Patrick lived at a time when he knew many of the early presidents of AANA. He met them when he was a young nurse anesthetist, and some mentored him as he became AANA president in 1983. Patrick often shared those memories of meeting them. He often reminded younger CRNAs and AANA leaders of the early struggles in cultivating the nurse anesthesia profession. He reminded us of the vision and the courage it took to build the AANA. He made every CRNA he spoke with feel proud to be part of the profession and he motivated many of us to make sure that CRNAs were globally recognized as anesthesia providers. If there ever was a cultural ambassador for CRNAs, it was Patrick Downey. Thank you, Patrick, on behalf of myself and the profession of nurse anesthesia. Rest in peace, dearest Patrick. I'm Deborah A. Geisler, and I was president of the AANA in 2001-2002. When I think of Patrick Downey, I think of strength and kindness. I knew him more as a former president than I did when he served as president in 1983. Patrick did 
so much for our profession as a practicing CRNA and as the president of our association. Those are the things that I knew of Patrick Downey before I met the man who is Patrick Downey. My association with Patrick was more as a former president of the AANA. He essentially was the cornerstone of the former president's group, which we lovingly call ourselves the Diamonds. There was not a former president that Patrick did not reach out to for their birthday on a regular basis just to check in to make sure that they were doing well. He was organized, he kept us organized, he truly was the cornerstone of our group. Had fury as well, but the only thing that I ever heard Patrick say when he was frustrated was, and by golly, they better do it. That was one of the statements that I always remember from Patrick. Patrick had a way of making every one of us in the diamonds feel very special. He was a kind, gentle, but yet firm person with excellent leadership skills. And we, the members of the AANA, were fortunate to have him at the helm when we did. And we, the former presidents of the AANA, were very fortunate to have him as a member of our group. Patrick, it is hard to believe that you're no longer with us and we We'll all miss you tremendously. I'm Peggy McFadden, former ANA president, 1987 and 1993. I'm with you today to pay tribute to our colleague, also a former president, and friend, Patrick Downey. I first met Patrick nearly 40 years ago in 1983, when I was newly elected to the board as a Region 2 director. Uh, this was probably Patrick's third year on the board. He was a, a good Irish Catholic, and, and he had a way with words unlike anybody I'd ever met. I used to say he'd kiss the Blarney Stone. My first year exposure to his speaking ability came when I attended his state meeting in Wisconsin. We were seated together at the speaker's table. I had really labored over what I was going to say that day, especially since I was sitting there with the president. So at the table, I, I glanced over to his notes and he had three words written on a post-it note. He spoke before me in probably 20, 30 minutes. He never ever referred to his three words. I was absolutely dumbfounded. So Patrick was a very tough act to follow. There was another time, I'm going to say I was fearful of what Patrick might do or say. The board had been debating a political action committee for ANA. The decision was to come before the members the next day. At the cocktail hour, our counselor, Jim Blumenreich, said to me, you need to talk to Patrick. You're losing him on the PAC vote. Gene knew how to count votes. I didn't, I had not recognized it. About 10 or 11 o'clock that night, I went to Patrick's suite, I'll never forget. He came to the door in his nightshirt. He invited me in. I told him I was there to talk about the pack. You see, I knew Patrick. He was like the Pied Piper. No matter which way he would swing, the members would go with him. We needed him. 
I can't remember now Patrick's objection to the pack. I just knew I had to convince him of its importance to our legislative agenda, which was Medicare direct reimbursement. The next day at the business meeting, uh, Patrick spoke eloquently in support of the pack. The members followed him just as I knew they would, and CRNA PAC is history today. In Patrick's later years, he adopted the former presidents into his vision of the Diamond Club. That's what we call ourselves. We were, in fact, I think Patrick might have even named it. We were to be a social club, philanthropic in nature, um, to provide scholarships to anesthesia students. He never wavered from that point of view. Yes, Patrick was unique. He was a legend in his own time. He'll be sorely missed by all of us who knew him. I know the past presidents will miss him. We'll miss hearing his voice. He used to call us every month just to check in and see how we were doing. And he always sent us a birthday card. He was a great friend to the presidents and to CRNAs everywhere. I want to thank you, Sharon and Jeremy, for allowing me this opportunity to pay tribute to Patrick Downey, a wonderful man. Wanda Wilson, AANA President, 2008. A tribute to Patrick Downey, former ANA President, my colleague, mentor, and friend. I first met this kind, caring CRNA Patrick Downey at an ANA annual meeting. Patrick was working the room. He was reaching out and encouraging students, young members, up-and-coming leaders, and current leaders. He shared his love for the organization and the profession with everyone. Over the years, Patrick mentored many fellow CRNAs. As I moved up to the elected position of the ANA board, I would often hear from Patrick. He seemed to know just when to call. He was so supportive. I will never forget an event that involved Patrick and occurred during my presidency. Leading up to this event, Jenny Gaffey was doing research to find Agatha Hodgins' home and place of burial. As Patrick cheered her on from Wisconsin, Jenny located Agatha's home and burial site in Chatham, Massachusetts. During my presidency, an ANA delegation, including Patrick, traveled to Massachusetts to place an ANA commemorative marker at Agatha's place of burial. Following a recognition ceremony and placement of the historical marker, the group returned to Jenny's home to celebrate with food and drinks. This turned into a magical evening with Patrick, Jenny, and John Gard filling the evening with laughter and great stories about ANA and its leaders. The love and dedication for the profession was evident that evening. Patrick continued to call even after my presidency, and we'd often reminisce about that special evening. What a night, he would say. I know now that Patrick is up in heaven with Agatha and John cheering the association on. Thank you, Patrick Downey. My name is Gary Bridges. 2019 AANA president. Patrick Downey was one of the legends of this great profession. He always took opportunities to mentor the leaders throughout this profession. Never once did he miss your birthday for an opportunity to chat and gauge how your leadership trajectory was progressing. He imparted a wealth of knowledge and wisdom from the courageous leaders that started this great profession. Patrick Downey is a legend in the profession of nurse anesthesia. He'll be greatly missed, incredibly respected, 
as one of the mentors and contributors and the courageous individuals that expanded the profession of nurse anesthesia. This is Debbie Molina, president of AANA 2011 through 2012. I don't remember exactly when I met Patrick, but I do remember one year at an annual meeting, I won a raffle through the foundation of a picture of Agatha Hodgins administering anesthesia that was donated and signed by Patrick Downey. It seems that after that time, him and I became friends. Now, everybody that knew Patrick felt that they were his best friend. That was just the way he made everybody feel. The phone calls, whether they were weekly, monthly, or bi-monthly, just to check in and say hi. The cards and the calls for birthdays and significant events. Patrick always made you feel like you were his special best friend. And while he didn't use email or the internet very much, if at all, Patrick was always able to keep up with current events and what was going on. But most of all, I think that Patrick will be remembered not only for his love of his wife, his kids, his grandchildren, and his great-grandchildren, but his passionate belief in the nurse anesthesia profession and in the AANA. As long as CRNAs continue to provide stellar anesthesia and elect leaders that had no personal agendas, our legacy would continue, as will Patrick's. Hi, my name is Bruce Weiner. I was president of the ANA from 2017 to 2018. I came to know Patrick Downey back in 1984. As a new graduate at the time, Patrick had been working directly with Congress to secure Medicare reimbursement Part B through a pass-through amendment. Patrick and the rest of the board was successful in achieving this milestone. It was an honor to work directly with Patrick. He was a mentor to myself and other former presidents. Always there, always available to contact by telephone. Patrick was one of those individuals that you could treat as the patriarch and the fact that he always checked on me personally. And as I understand that with other former presidents to offer his mentorship to support us on any endeavor that we sought as a president of the organization. Patrick was recognized for this mentorship during my presidential year through a special award. I had the honor of presenting this to one of his other mentors from Wisconsin, Will McGillis. While Patrick was unable to travel at the time due to his health, Patrick truly represented and embodied the spirit of mentorship in the ANA. 
He was a friend, he was a gentleman, and he was an individual as a certified registered nurse anesthetist that will sorely be missed. Dennis Bless, President, AANA 2014. Patrick Downey was the epitome of what a member of the AANA was. He was always engaged, loved the AANA, his passion for the AANA was always present and you could see it in him, the way he spoke um, and the relevance that he showed. Um, Patrick lived for the AANA, I believe, he and the business meeting was especially something that he looked forward to every year. Um, Patrick was at the microphone giving the history as it pertained to the business of the association. And his voice and passion showed through um, every time he got to the microphone. He was also the driver and the president of the AANA Diamond Club, which is the past president's club. Um, Patrick put together the agenda. He did the minutes for the meetings and he did finances as well. He was simply amazing in everything he did. He also loved students and he was always interested and always presented the checks to the foundation on behalf of the Diamond Club to the students every year um, at the student luncheon. As a former president, he was a mentor to me and many. Um, always in a positive way through cards, phone calls, a bright, you know, word whenever you needed it. Um, he was one of a kind, um, and he will surely be missed. Patrick was um, a very special CRNA and a special person. Here's to Patrick. Hello, it's the first of June already. Good afternoon, Dr. Sharon. I am as proud of punch as you. This is Patrick Downey. I'm showing off to everybody that I got another Southern Belle who is a doctor. God love you, little love lady. I'm looking to see you over there at the halls of Congress. Congratulations again. God bless you. Have you thought about what would happen if you weren't able to work for two or three years? You know, on average, 25% of people will file a disability claim, and most of us aren't prepared for that loss of income. Every CRNA needs to protect their biggest asset, yourself and your ability to earn with a disability insurance policy. We recommend contacting Robert Smith, a master disability insurance specialist with more than 30 years of experience and 1,800 CRNA clients to find the coverage that fits you best. The best way to do that is to send him an email at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com. Or call him at 504-394-6557. Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. 
Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, President of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and President and Founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs, buy equipment or textbooks. Your donations are tax deductible and we would appreciate your support. OSA EMR is a free anesthesia EMR developed by CRNAs that you can download and use on an iPad. Our nonprofit mission is to make sure that solo and small practice CRNAs can digitally record their anesthetics. To learn more, visit OSAEMR.com to download and consider donating to our cause. Remember, for CRNAs, data is destiny. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you like to listen to shows. Also, be sure to check out beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Each episode is posted there with a corresponding blog post, and we timestamp important parts of the episode to help you quickly get to the content you're looking for. Also, check out the special series section on the site. You can follow along and catch up on the CRNA History Series, episodes specifically about political conversations in the industry, or try the CRNA Personal Finance Series. It's all on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And if you have a question for the show or want to be a guest or even suggest a particular topic, fill out the contact form on the site or send an email directly to us at info at beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And lastly, let's take the conversation social. Check out our Beyond the Mask podcast Facebook page and Facebook group.